Hello and welcome to another episode of the Book Baby Spotlight, your home for conversations with authors, illustrators, editors, and other industry insiders from the world of self-publishing. I'm your host, Sam Saddam, and today I have for you my interview with one of those editors, Christina Frey, who serves as a co-executive of the EFA and works as a freelance editor. But first, New York Strand's bookstores had an inspirational story of their community coming together to bail them out. Since the coronavirus pandemic took hold, their business had slumped over 70%, owner Nancy Bass Wyden announced on social media, while launching the hashtag SaveTheStrand. The Strand is an icon serving their community for 93 years, and Wyden is the third generation owner. And I'll tell you, help came in spades. Wyden says they received 25,000 orders last weekend, comparing to an average of about 300 per day. If you're interested in helping, check out the hashtag SaveTheStrand on social media or their website, strandbooks.com. Here at BookBaby, we recommend always ordering books from independent booksellers. Jeff Bezos certainly has enough money as it is. And if you need some book recommendations for what to buy, well, Christina Frey has a list for you coming up. Christina, thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for welcoming me here. And how are you holding up? Um, surviving. It's, it's pretty uh, rainy here in Baltimore right now, but it's par for the course in October. <laughs> so you're an ex- a co-executive of the EFA. First of all, what is that? We're basic, there, we basically have a two, pre- you can think of it as a two-president structure. So we, we share the executive responsibilities for the organization. Okay. And the organization, what's that acronym stand for? Uh, the Editorial Freelancers Association. And what do you guys do? So we are a professional association for editors, writers, indexers, formatters, anybody who's um, essentially a professional in the editorial field. And we've been going for 50 years. This is actually our 50-year anniversary year. Congrats. And basically provide professional support, whether that's helping our members find jobs, providing education classes, um, networking opportunities. We have chapters across the United States. Well, they're meeting virtually right now, but they were meeting in person prior. We have a conference um, every few years. Yeah, so, so basically we're there to help support professional growth in the editorial field. And how many members are there? I want to say there's about 2,800 members. It fluctuates, but our members are um, almost exclusively freelancers. Okay, so you're an editor yourself and a literary coach from I understand. Uh, yes. We'll certainly get into the finer points of editing, but what does a literary coach do? I imagine you, you have your headset already as we're Zooming, so do you call plays? <laughs> It's more, it's more like a, it's like a writing coach, but um, I focus not solely on a book necessarily. If somebody has a book that they want help with writing, but if they just want help with writing, with writing technique, learn how to write a scene, learn how to, you know, how to deal with a short story, or from the, from an editing perspective, learn how to edit memoir and so on. So it's kind of like a range of literary things. It's not just about writing. So do you stay in a specific genre for that? It depends. There are certain genres that I'm not really familiar with, so I don't really work in, but I have a pretty wide range of genres. Do you work with the agents and publishers too, or just directly with the author? Are they the one that hires you? So usually it's the author that hires me. I have worked with some small presses before. Often it's, it's a book that they've already accepted for publication, but it needs a little bit of extra support. So I'm still working one-on-one with the author. That's actually the relationship I prefer. What, what do you mean by extra support? What, what's an example of that? Well, for example, um, if, if they have a, um, their manuscript's been accepted for publication, but it's, you know, 40,000 words too long, I'll work with the author to help, to help rein it in and shape it a little bit. Okay. 
so can you tell us what writers you've worked with or is that not for public consumption or maybe it depends on which author? I mean, it kind of, de- it, it kind of depends on which author. So yeah, I, 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 I try and um, I've, I've got a bunch up on my website um, that I, I try and list, but uh, others, you know, I, I, you know, some people have NDAs and so on. So. I think uh, one of the things that our authors uh, have problems with sometimes is understanding whether or not to credit the editor uh, as part of the metadata for the book. Is that something that you think about? In the metadata, I would not, would never expect to be credited in the metadata. Sometimes people choose to mention me in the acknowledgments, sometimes not. It's, it's really up to the author. I'm not going to be upset or offended either way. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a lot of their concerns, whether or not they're offending somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so take a broad view, what does a book editor actually do? It really depends on the type of editing. So if we're talking about developmental editing, that's kind of your big picture. Is this working as a story? Are the characters, is there a definable arc? Are there plot holes? Is it holding together? Is the pacing, does it really slump in the middle? Um, is the ending satisfactory? Those are the kinds of questions that um, I'd be answering. So if I were called in in a very early stage, usually the manuscript is completed, not always, but usually, and I will go through it. I will kind of parse it out into, you know, try and understand the character arcs, try and understand the plot. If, if the narrative is out of order or some of the things don't seem to gel up, I might actually lay out the pieces on the floor and move them around physically. That's actually sometimes a really good way to break the block. If I'm coming in as a developmental editor, I'm, I'm going to sit down and just like really immerse myself in the story from a bird's eye view and figure out if something is working, if something isn't working, how to improve it, how to get the reader to be able to connect with the story. So do you usually read through the manuscript first or do you just start? Oh, yeah. Every, every single time. You have yep, to read for it sure. all the way through and then start yep. again? Yep. I don't even touch it until I've finished the first read through. For developmental edits, I usually read through the book several times in several different ways as I'm mapping it. For line editing, I still read through it, even though I'm going to be working on a more, uh, you know, on a more sentence level, but I read through it to get a sense of the author's voice. Is that something that you've picked up over time? You know, maybe did you make mistakes at one point and decide, oh, wow, this is the way I need to work? No, I've, I've, it's just, I like to be able to connect with the authors and reading their book kind of just like reading it without any expectations, without, oh, I need to fix this, I need to fix this. Just reading without any expectations, I can kind of get to know the book and I kind of actually enjoy it. I mean, it's reading, right? So right. I imagine that's how you got into editing, a big literature fan. I mean, I am a big literature fan. I've, I always have been, but um, I've always also gravitated toward editing, you know, school magazines, law review and so on. Cool. Uh, so you mentioned developmental editing. What other kind of types are there? So, so, here's, so here's the thing with editing. Every single editor you speak with is going to have a slightly different definition of the different types of editing. So when I describe them, just take them with a grain of salt because someone else might have a slightly different way of, of, of parsing out the types of editing. So after developmental editing, um, sometimes developmental editing is deeper and I'll go into content editing, which um, does a lot of moving around. It's really focused on a very on a smaller, like a scene level, on a, um, you know, even aspects of a scene. Next, I would look at line editing. Line editing is actually my favorite type. This is um, basically, if you think of the narrative as a composition, you know, a, a musical composition, line editing looks at the music. It looks at the rhythm and flow, looks at the cadence from line to line. It, it still looks out for, you know, 
purple prose or, you know, stilted dialogue, but it's, it's all geared toward how is this flowing? Is the reader going to be pulled along by the writing as well as by the story itself? And so the other types other than that, you know, I guess proofreading after that's kind of more at the, the more granular level. Well, yeah, copy editing actually would, would usually happen next. Copy editing is about, it's essentially about making everything consistent, making the spelling, grammar, punctuation consistent with a particular style, whether that is like Chicago manual style, many people use that. Sometimes authors have their own individual style guide that they'd like to use supplementally. So it's making everything making sure everything is done consistently. And then afterward, you know, you might have some proofreading, especially if it's being done in a hard copy of paperback as well as an ebook, because proofreading will also look for things like um, if you have the repeated three times in a row on one, on, on one side of the, on one side of the paragraph, It'll also look for if a word is hyphenated weird, if it breaks weirdly over a line. I actually don't proofread, but those are definitely things that when I give a manuscript to a proofreader, they will come back with and point out some of these little finicky things. So how many rounds of editing does a manuscript, should it go through, I guess, uh, from time, you know, it's, the author puts down the pen and they've done the first draft and then to actually publishing it? Because well, we don't have any requirements on the book baby side. Uh, it's entirely up to the author. While we do offer a few different editing services, uh, I, I know on the uh, traditional publish, it can be many, many rounds. So first of all, if they've done the first draft, they should put it away for a couple weeks, and then they should go back and edit, edit, like edit, do some self-editing, and then do another round of self-editing. There should be a lot of self-editing that happens, and, and and it's really it's really to any author's best interest because the better, um, the stronger the manuscript is when they give it to an editor, the the more that the editor can do for them. Um, what do you mean by that? If a book has um, some very some very serious plot flaws or character flaws, and huge chunks of it need to be rewritten, it might need another developmental edit after all that rewriting is done in order to you know check that everything is still working from a bird's eye view. You know, we're talking like you know major rewrite type of thing. So it seems like a lot and probably overwhelming for a first time author. So I guess how would you start? How does someone find an editor? So um, there's a couple ways to find an editor. You know, one way is to talk with your fellow authors, see who they've used, who they liked. Of course, you want to make sure that you are going to work with somebody who does know your genre. Often, if you approach somebody, if, if you approach a professional editor, and they'll often refer you to somebody else if if the, if your book is not in a genre that they that they work with. You can also look in some of your favorite books, especially your favorite self-published books, and see who the author credits in the acknowledgments, because sometimes they will mention their editors. You can, um, obviously, an online search is easy. You know, as part of the EFA, I would recommend people can either post a job to the job list and they will get, they will get a number of responses as specific as possible with the posting is ideal. Or they can search through the directory. We have a directory of members and you can kind of get a little bit more of a personal feel for members through the directory. But above all, I would say, you know, you definitely want to have a conversation with the potential editor and make sure that they're a good fit for you, that your styles mesh, that you that you get along, that it's going to be a good relationship. Not everybody likes to have that communication by phone, but by email too, you can establish a relationship. So what would you recommend they look for when trying to choose somebody? Well, you want to look uh, look for someone who's professional, and by that I mean there's no there. At least when we're talking about fiction or creative nonfiction, there's no certification in the United States, so it wouldn't be a professional certification necessarily. 
Other indicators of professionalism would be um, being actively involved in a professional organization. You know, there are several editorial organizations um, in addition to the EFA. Also, whether they're involved in local writing groups, that's another indicator indication of professionalism, how much, you know, whether they spend time involved in professional development, whether that's taking formal classes or less formal means, for example, they might subscribe to blogs or podcasts, they might be part of an online group where people are constantly talking about language change, kind of keeping an eye on how things are evolving in the literary world. Professional development is really important because you want somebody who is really involved in the editorial world and who is going to bring that knowledge when they edit the book. Speaking of the, the changes in, in language, uh, you know, where do you get your information from for things that are shifting when, when uh, you know, the AP puts out a, a new style book and those types of things? Do you have a definitive source that you look for or does that depend on the project and the tone and everything there? It does depend on the project and tone to a large extent. You know, I, I actually don't, don't tend, most of my projects don't tend to use AP style, but um, when Chicago Manual of Style actually, they, you know, they publish a monthly series of questions and answers. They have a blog and I'll always follow that. Lots of my professional forums, they're always talking about language change and posting news. Uh, Twitter is another good source for language change as well. Yeah, I mean, bas- basically, basically any, any, there are many ways to get that same information. It will come to you if you're looking for it, if that makes sense. Do you have a quantitative goal on what a successful job looks like? Uh, Catching 90% of all errors, something like that? So I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but somebody, somebody did a, somebody did some math to figure out a, to figure out a percentage of, of errors or issues. For developmental editing and line editing, it's a little bit more at the story and the narrative level, so it's not really about catching errors. So that's that's really a different consideration. As for as for copy editing in terms of catching issues, I don't even necessarily like to say errors because it's not always necessarily an error, sometimes it's an in- inconsistency. You know, I think 90% is 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 I couldn't say. I couldn't say without, without that particular blog post in front of me, but, um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is how many, um, how, you know, basically what was the concentration of issues or inconsistencies at the beginning of the manuscript as opposed to, as opposed to afterward. Also, whether or not, you know, some of these issues that, that see, sometimes people will post on an Amazon book review, oh, it was full of errors. And then you look at the errors that they're mentioning and they actually aren't rules at all. There's things like there's things that are referred to as zombie rules. They're long dead, but they're still walking around. For example, the um, the one that you can't start a, a sentence with a preposition. You definitely can start a, a sentence with a preposition. So that sort of thing. So not not everything that everybody you know claims is an error actually is an error. Yeah, two spaces after every sentence to. <laughs> oh no 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 yeah. <laughs> so how much does editing cost? So there are a lot of factors that go into the cost of a particular editing project. Number one is the length of the book, how many times it's been edited, whether it's been workshopped before, what type of editing is desired and how deep the editing needs to be, how much support the author wants from the editor in terms of coaching during the process. That being said, um, you will find a very wide range of pricing from editors across the spectrum. Um, Some people charge by the hour, some people charge by the page, which is defined as 250 words. Some people um, 
uh, price by the word and some by the project entirely. While I can't give specific, you know, industry industry standard rates, that is not something that exists. I can direct people to the rates survey chart on the EFA website, the-efa.org. It is not the EFA's required or requested or expected rates. What it is, it is the results of a survey we did. We actually recently updated the survey of our members asking them what kind of rates they have received for editing projects, you know, in the past year or so. And then we report the we report, we report the median numbers. So basically, that chart will give you an idea of what the cost of editing could look like. Obviously, you may end up talking to somebody who's on the you know, who's below that range or whose experience dictates that they are quite a bit above at that range, but it can at least give you a ballpark figure. So you mentioned at one point that there was no specific certification for an editor. So how does one know how to price themselves? Is that something that you struggle with? Do you price yourself more after a few years and figure out, you know, now I have this much experience? Yeah, yeah, it evolves over time. As you get more experience, as you become more in demand, as your skills improve, I teach line editing. When I wasn't teaching editing before, when I was a very junior editor, I was obviously my services cost less. So how has COVID affected the EFA or, or your business? Well, I'll start with EFA first. So that crazy week in March, we moved from everybody being in the office or our, our permanent staff being in the office to everybody working from home. And they are still working from home at this point. All of our, um, all of our chapters... Uh, went online. We did. We have, you know, a professional Zoom account, so we made that available to our chapters. That has, you know, required some, some, you know, finagling with the schedule, but we've made it happen. We had to put our annual meeting, which has always been in person, for the very first time. It was done virtually, um, and it, it happened. We didn't get the party afterward, but the meeting itself was fine. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, just just a lot of our a lot of our regular interactions that were not done online have have moved online. But other than that, we are spread. Our members are spread across the United States, Canada. We have people overseas as well, so we interact online a lot already. So there already was a lot of platform for that. As for my own business, initially. Initially, when the pandemic hit, there was a little bit of slowdown, um, in part because of my own schedule, suddenly having my daughter at home doing school there. But this summer and fall have been extremely busy, and it's quite possible that um, people had a little bit more time to put into their writing, which is, which is fantastic. I'm, I'm delighted that people would be able to do that. Yeah, it's the same thing that we're seeing on, the, on our end. Uh, so many authors who are ready now. We have some isolation journals and stuff like that coming. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so do you think that this will have a long-term effect on literature? So I haven't seen anything specifically yet. I've had heard inklings of other projects, which I'm not specifically involved in, that are sort of, they're more, they're pandemic-related, but they're more revolving around sci-fi and apocalyptic, I guess, alternative endings to the pandemic, which are a little frightening since we're still in this right now. But it will be interesting to see what the COVID-19 literature ends up looking like, what kind of character and flavor it has. I think things need, will need to settle down a little bit before that really becomes apparent. I saw the movie rights for the vaccine search got optioned somehow. When oh my God. I don't <laughs> understand how that worked. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of authors who are using that kind of as a backdrop of their books and then trying to build from there. And yeah. I'm curious how much uh, it'll be just kind of in the background of things, you know, 
mentioning somebody wearing a mask when, you know, 10 years from now, you look back and go, wait, what? <laughs> What's this yeah. line? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny. It's funny how, you know, people have been talking about, you know, we watch television, we see, you know, we're wa- watching reruns of an old show and we're seeing people just like walking around and interacting like normal. It's like, hey, where's their mask? <laughs> so I, I think there's definitely going to be, you know, it's definitely going to be in the background as, I guess, a normal part of life at that time. Uh, so what books have you been reading during this time? What have I been reading? Um, let me think. Apart from for work. <laughs> Apart from work. Um, I've been reading some Blake Crouch. I really love him. He's the author of Dark Matter um, among, and Recursion, among others. Let's see, I've been reading a bunch of thrillers. Alex Marwood is a, um, a British writer. been reading a little bit of her. The thing to know about me, I usually am reading like five or six books at one time. So I like to kind of, I like to keep my options open. Sometimes I'm just in the mood for, you know, a exciting thriller or, you know, a mystery or, you know, something a little more quieter and contemplative. Plus I have my audiobooks for when I run. So, but those usually need to be a very specific type. Do you find yourself editing while you read? You're thinking like, well, why the author? No, don't do that. I actually don't. I, um, I, put, the, I put the editor part of my brain um, on the back burner when I'm reading for pleasure. Impressive. <laughs> so what are the EFA's plans for 2021? Do you guys know when you're going to have uh, in-person meetings yet? Or is that all just playing by ear? Yeah, we're, we're going to be playing by ear, basically. Um, we're going to, you know, watch what happens this fall is going to be a kind of a pretty big indicator whether there's another big surge or not. So yeah, we're, we're hoping to have a conference next fall. But again, that's going to completely depend on how things shake out over the next few months. Yeah, we'll just keep watching the trends and especially in particular areas where people would want to gather, you know, different states are at different stages in the infection rates. Yeah, we're just playing it by ear. Thanks again to Christina. She is the co-executive of the Editorial Freelancers Association, and info about them can be found at the-efa.org. Her personal website is page2editorial.com. That's 2-T-W-O, page2editorial.com. And this has been the season finale of the Book Baby Spotlight. We'll be back again in the new year with plenty more to cover from the world of self-publishing. So be sure to subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice and might as well rate it and share it with a friend while you're there. As always, Book Baby staff is available at info at bookbaby.com if you're interested in getting your book edited, published, designed, advertised, whatever you need, they've got you covered. They're helping writers become authors every day. Thanks again to Christina Frey for joining me today and really to all of our incredible guests this year. My thanks also go out to everybody at Book Baby and DIY Media who helped make Book Baby Spotlight podcast, specifically Brian Lipsky, Jim Foley, Becky Rodriguez-Smith for our logo design, and our producer, Chad Hinson. Once again, I'm your host, Sam Saddam, and this has been the Book Baby Spotlight. Stay safe, everyone.